Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masechet Sota. Uh, this is our final class of Masechet Sota. Uh, so first of all, call a kavod to everyone who has been uh, studying this at home. And we're going to finish the Masechet together tonight. Uh, this is our seventh class and we're going to be reviewing Daf 42 through 49, uh, and we are going to be finishing the Masechet. Um, so let's start with Daf 42. Um, we finish up, the, the chapter ends with a few more ideas on the negativity of flattery uh, for the wrong reasons. Um, and we're going to begin the eighth chapter. Uh, now, the eighth chapter discusses what happened when the Jewish people went out to war. Uh, so there was a special priest, a special Kohen, that went out to war with them. Uh, and he's called the Kohen Mashuach Milchama. He is the, the priest that was anointed for this battle or for the war. Uh, and the Mishnah explains to us that the Kohen needs to say certain verses and he needs to speak to the nation. And he must do this in Hebrew. If you remember, I think it was already two weeks ago, we started off this conversation of different things, things that can be done in, in any language so that we understand it and things that need to be done in Hebrew. Hebrew. So these are things that need to be done in Hebrew. Um, the the Kohen, the priest, goes to the goes out um, to the the camp, uh, and he says to the warriors, he says to the people, uh, "Shema Yisrael, right? Listen, everyone, uh, you're going to go fight against the enemies, uh, and right, not your brothers. Meaning, this does not happen if they were." Chas uh, uh, going out against their brother, but this is when they're going out against their enemies. Uh, and uh, the Kohen tells them that there will not be mercy for the captives, and you have to be strong of heart and not to be afraid, um, and be strong because God is going out with you to battle. Uh, and the other nations go with their mighty warriors, but the Jewish people go out with the Aaron, with the Ark, uh, which is a symbol of God's presence with them. Uh, and a very famous line, right, uh, he says, Ki Hashem Elokechem HaHolech Imachem Lihilachem Lachem, right, and we actually say this, uh, this line in the prayer for the uh, well-being of the, the soldiers of Israel, we say it uh, every Shabbat, um, and the pasuk is that God is uh, going to go out with you to fight, uh, to fight with you or for you. So recognize that you're going out to war, but God is with you. So the Gemara explains the Mishnah and says that um, this priest, this Kohen, is appointed specifically for this job. It is not the Kohen Gadol. It's not the high priest. Um, but it is this, uh, this particular job. Um, and um, he says to them that, you know, if you say Shema, right, this, I, the play on words of Shema Yisrael, that if you say Shema twice a day, then, you know, you will be saved. Meaning if you have an awareness of God in your life, then you will be saved. Um, now, the Gemara explains that actually the Kohen speaks to them twice. Once at the border, and he tells them, 
whoever should turn back should turn back now. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Um, and the second time he speaks to them is ex at, the, at the actual battlefield where he says, don't be afraid, uh, and God is going to be with you. And here we get into a whole discussion of the battle between the Philistines, the Plishtim, and the Jewish people in the time of um, of David and Goliath, right? Goliath is Goliath. Right, the giant Goliath is a Philistine. Uh, so the Gemara tells us that the Plishtim, the Philistines, were led by Goliath, right? And he was very brazen against God. And he called, right? He called for them to send down a man to fight him, and that was David. Uh, and three times his words. Uh, hinted at something that would happen to him. Uh, talks about how, uh, and the Gemara goes into details, how Goliath, sorry, how Goliath harassed uh, the Jewish people in the morning and at night for 40 days uh, so that they couldn't say Shema. Uh, 40 days, right, like the days they were waiting for receiving the Torah. That works out beautifully. Next week is Shavuot. Uh, where we're getting ready to receive the Torah. So, uh, you know, I always love when there are hints to it in our Daf Yomi. Um, and it says uh, that he was a giant, uh, and he's from Gat. Uh, Gat was a city um, of, the, of the Philistines. And his mother was Orpah. Uh, again, another connection for us to Shavuot. Orpah was Ruth's sister, Right, Ruth from the the book of Ruth. Um, so Orpah was uh, was Ruth's sister. Orpah goes back to her father, um, and Ruth continues, as we know, um, to Naomi, um, with Naomi to Israel. Uh, and what's fascinating is, right, their descendants are going to fight. Right, David comes from Ruth, and Goliath comes from Orpah. Um, okay, uh, the Gemara on uh, Daf 43 tells us that um, that God is with them uh, when they go out to battle, uh, and they have the Aron, right? The Aron, the Ark of the Covenant, has within it the tablets, uh, the Luchot, the, the tablets that we got at Har Sinai, right? Again, Shavuot. Um, and um, and it says that when they went out to battle, right, the um, the Sanhedrin goes with them, and the Kohen Mashiach Milchama goes out with them. Uh, it says that Pinchas also went out with them. This is in the war uh, in the desert, um, and it says that Pinchas went out with them to avenge the selling of Yosef, right, which is his mother's father. Uh, and here the Gemara tells us that his mother's father comes from Yosef, right? His mother's mother is from Yitro. So Pinchas comes from both of those lines. Okay, the next Mishnah tells us about three types of people who could go home and don't need to go out to battle. So who are these three types of people? Um, if a person built a new house, uh, now, house is used loosely. It could be any sort of like live-in structure. Um, 
that either the person built, bought, inherited, or got as a gift, if they didn't inaugurate the house, then they could go home. Another person is someone who planted a vineyard and didn't redeem it within the first three years um, or five fruit trees. And again, the same idea, either they could be bought or inherited. Sorry, I don't know why I'm yawning so much. Um, okay, so we have a person who built a new house, a person who planted a vineyard, and the third person is someone who is engaged uh, or betrothed and not married yet. Um, and it could be, it doesn't matter who they're engaged to, whether it's their first marriage or second marriage or doing yibum. Um, all these, um, they hear the Kohen and then they go back. Now, interestingly, these three people do not go they do not go home, but they are actually, they don't go to the front and they stay back in the camp and they supply water for the troops and they fix the roads. Oh. But they don't go into battle and they don't go home. Um, and the Gemara explains exactly what we mean. Uh, again, if you, if you, let's say, built a balcony or you planted fewer trees, um, so then you do go into battle. Um, if you rebuilt an old house, you also, uh, you don't go back, you go into battle. Um, then there is, there are three other people who don't go at all, meaning they stay home. Who are these three people? If they, um, again, if they haven't lived in their new house for one year, um, if they have a vineyard and they didn't enjoy the fruit of the fourth year, again, it's important to rec remember uh, when you plant a fruit tree, the first three years, you're not allowed to eat the fruit. It's called orla. The fourth year, you need to bring the produce up to Jerusalem and you can eat the produce in Yerushalayim. So if that the fourth year they haven't eaten the fruit yet, and if someone just got married uh, or did Yibum and they're within their first year, these three people stay home. They don't go out to battle. They don't even go to the camp. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to, to explain uh, that the officers, remember we said that the Kohen announces that these three people can, don't have to go to battle. The officers repeat what the Kohen says. Um, and as we mentioned, it says he built a bayit. Uh, bayit, a house, can mean any building that could be lived in, even if it's for animals or, or a storehouse. Um, but if it's um, if you stole a house, uh, so then you need to uh, you need to go to battle. Um, interesting. The the Gemara adds that if a person is afraid. So then they do not have to go to battle. Uh, and there are two explanations of being afraid. Um, afraid, just afraid because it's scary, or afraid because they know that they did certain sins and they're concerned that they're going to be punished for those sins on the battlefield. Um, okay, um, the, the Gemara continues to tell us that um, 
that uh, different types of vines, if you grafted the vine, um, then all of those uh, different types of layering and grafting, um, there are cases where, uh, again, that person, it is considered as if you've planted a new tree or vine and you do not go into battle. Um, okay, DAF 44 um, talks about um, the an, an engaged person. Uh, so again, remember we said the engaged person or betrothed person um, doesn't go into battle, but doesn't go home. Um, so the engaged person can go, can go back, doesn't go to battle, uh, but not if they're engaged to someone who is prohibited to them, right? So if it's a Kohen uh, to someone who is divorced, or if it's the Kohen Gadol to a widow, um, none of these things, um, these don't count basically, and they have to go to war. Um, the Torah, the Gemara tells us on Da 44 that the Torah is actually teaching us uh, what we would call proper behavior, what's called derech eretz. What does that mean? That first you should build a house, then you should plant a vineyard, and only then you should get married. Uh, so it's an interesting way of understanding these three people. Or maybe the verse is teaching us, first you should learn Torah, right? Build a house, which is learning Torah. Um, then you should learn Mishnah, that's like the Kerem, the vineyard. And then uh, you should learn Gemara. So that's like getting married. So interesting to see how uh, those things work together. Um, okay, next Mishnah. Um, the, the Kohen continues, if you're afraid, so then you should go back. Uh, and the, the Mishnah uses the word rach levav. If you have a weak heart, uh, then you should go back. Uh, again, the first interpretation is literal fear, right? It's scary on the battlefield. Or another opinion is, as I mentioned, afraid of sins that they did and that they might die. Um, and what's, what's a, a beautiful idea, the Mishnah tells us that we announce all these people, right? So the three other people plus the person who's afraid, and they all leave at the same time so that nobody knows why people are leaving, right? You could be leaving because you, you built a house. You could be leaving because you're engaged. It could be that you're leaving because you're afraid. But it's so no one will be embarrassed uh, that, they are, um, that they are afraid. Um, Okay, um, as we mentioned that there are officers, so the, the Mishnah tells us that there are officers who go in front to encourage them, but there are also officers who go in the back to prevent people uh, from running away from the battle. Uh, because again, uh, they understood that if people start running away from the battle, uh, this will cause people uh, to fail, to get upset, uh, to get scared even more, and they will lose the battle. Um, here now the Gemara discusses different types of war. We have three terms. We have what's called milchemet uh, rishut, which means a war that is voluntary. Uh, and then we have uh, the, the, uh, another phrase, milchemet mitzvah. It's a commandment to go out. And then we have the concept of milchemet chova. It's obligatory for everybody to go out. And it says that 
if it's voluntary, so then those three groups of people can go home. If it's a mitzvah, um, then everyone needs to go. Or the Gemara says, the Mishnah says, maybe for if it's a mitzvah, you can go home. But if it's an obligation, a chovah, then you, everyone needs to stay. So the Gemara is going to explain this in a minute. Um, that, that first of all, the Gemara tells us that everyone agrees that if someone is afraid of the battle, that they should go home, right? It's not good for morale uh, for the troops and that they should go home. Uh, and now we're going to define the terms that I mentioned before. What is uh, a war that is obligatory? That was the war of Yehoshua, right, of Joshua, of conquering Israel. Everyone needed to go. Um, when King David, when David expanded the borders of Israel, that's what we call Milchemet Rishut. It was voluntary. Whoever wanted or could go should go. Whoever can't didn't need to. Um, and if it's about minimizing enemies, that's a machloket, right? If it's about fighting the enemies and making sure that they stay in line, uh, that would be a machloket, whether that's called a mitzvah or Rishut. Right or uh, optional or voluntary. Um, okay, and with that, we finish the very short chapter of the eighth chapter. Uh, and now we're going to do uh, the last chapter of Masechet Sota. Um, we are going to learn about a very, um, well, I'll say curious ritual, um, which was called the Egla Arufa, uh, or Egla Arufa, uh, which is the calf that was de uh, decapitated. Um, so uh, the mission is going to explain to us what happens, but basically um, in Dvarim um, chapter 21, there's a discussion if they find, if they found a dead body uh, in the, you know, outside, I was going to say in the wild, but on the road, or they found it, uh, you know, not in a city, and they don't know who uh, who killed this person. So what happens? Um, the judges need to come and measure from the body to the closest cities. Uh, and when they determine the closest city, then the elders of the city are going to take a calf uh, and do this certain ritual. So here the Mishnah tells us um, that, uh, as I mentioned, they have to say certain verses, and these verses must be said in Hebrew. Um, so that's, what we, that's why we have it here as well. Um, so the, the Mishnah tells us that we need um, three judges from the great court or the high court in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. Um, they need to come to wherever we, they are, um, or if it's either three or five. There's a machlok at how many need to come. Um, also, the Mishnah explains to us that if they find a corpse under a pile of stones or hanging or floating on water, we do not do this ritual uh, based on the verses in, uh, in the book of Devarim. Um, it's very clear that it needs to be on the ground, right, and open, not, um, not uh, buried. Um, so if it's very, if it's that specific case, we do the ritual, and if not, we don't. 
Um, and if the body is found close to a non-Jewish city, then we don't do the ritual um, because, again, there's no one there to take responsibility. And we'll discuss what this means in a minute. Okay, um, the Gemara tells us that, um, again, based on a verse, it's either three or five judges. Uh, Daf 45 tells us that they actually they have to measure which city is closest even if it's very clear let's say there's only one city that's near and the rest of the cities are much further away uh, it doesn't matter there's something about having to measure so they have to measure uh, another opinion here is that it's not three or five judges rather the entire sanhedrin needs to come to this city again the sanhedrin was the high court um plus uh, made up of 70 people plus the king needs to come and the high priest uh meaning so if you can understand it's really a lot of people one second okay the Gemara now brings up um, another case, another, um, uh, we'll call it case, um, of something called in Hebrew, Zaken Mamre. Zaken Mamre is what, what is called in English a rebellious elder. Um, and this is a person who um, disagrees with the entire high court, with the entire Sanhedrin. Um, and the Gemara says here that if the, the whole Sanhedrin is outside of Jerusalem and this sage or this elder disagrees with them, it's not called a rebellious elder. That only happens when the Sanhedrin is in Jerusalem. So now the Gemara asks, what does this mean? Right? How could it be? Uh, that the entire Sanhedrin is not in Jerusalem, right? Where would we ever find that case? So the Gemara says it must be from the ritual of the Egla Arufa, right? And this is brought as a proof that the entire Sanhedrin, 70 people, need to go uh, outside of Jerusalem to whatever city this body was found, um, and they need to help measure um, for uh, this ritual. Okay, uh, as we mentioned, we said that the body needs to be on the ground, not buried. Um, and now the Gemara is comparing this to the laws of, um, in Hebrew, what's called shichacha. Shichacha means something forgotten. This is one of the, of the um, gifts or things that are given to the poor people when the farmers were harvesting, right? We have three uh, laws that have to do with harvest, pe'a, where you leave the corners, uh, leket, which is things that are um, forgotten as they are harvesting, and shichicha, things that are forgotten out in the field. Again, connecting to Ruth, if you remember in the book of Ruth, she goes behind the farmers to collect the things that have fallen or that were forgotten. So see again more connections uh, for next week um, okay so here the Gemara says that with Shechacha what does it mean that it was forgotten it needs to be out in the open but if it's covered with another bundle that's not considered forgotten because 
it's hidden. Uh, and therefore, we're going to say the same thing with this body that's found. If it's covered by something, it doesn't have the designation uh, for this ritual of Egla Arufa. Uh, and here the Gemara talks about, um, again, putting one bundle on top of another um, and the, the different laws connected with that. Then the Gemara asks, what happens if we find two bodies? Uh, where do we measure from? Right? Let's say if they're one on top of the other, right? So is the bottom body seen as covered and therefore it doesn't count and you only use the top body? Or do we say that the top body is floating? Remember we said floating is also a problem. The top body is floating on top of the second um, and maybe they just cancel each other out. Um, this body that is found must have died uh, because a, of or must have been killed by a sharp instrument and not if it was strangled or buried as we said not hanging or floating. Um, so then it doesn't count. Um, and um, okay, um, if uh, again, if there are no elders in the closest city, uh, then you go, to, you measure to the closest city that does have uh, elders, meaning a leadership, a court system. Uh, the idea here is that these elders are going to have to take responsibility. Uh, and therefore, we need someone to take responsibility. Uh, the next Mishnah explains, uh, let's say you find a body exactly between the two cities. Um, so then, e right, if it's exact, 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 then each city brings a calf, meaning the ritual is done twice. Um, the Mishnah then says that Jerusalem, uh, if a body is found close to Jerusalem, it does not bring uh, an Egla Arufa. Um, it does not do this ritual because um, Jerusalem, as we know, is not governed by any by any one tribe, uh, and therefore, right from the verses, uh, Jerusalem doesn't is not involved in this ritual. Um, what happens if you found um, the head in one place and the body in another? Uh, so either you bring the body to the head or you bring the head to the body. There's a makloket. Um, and then where do we measure from, right, from the body to the city? Where do we measure from the, on the body? Um, so it's a, also a makloket. Um, you start measuring, one opinion is you start measuring from the belly button. Um, and one opinion is from the nose. Uh, and the Gemara is going to explain why. You can start thinking about what you would say for the reasons. Um, or the option is from the neck where the person was killed. Um, okay, uh, the, so the Gemara explains why not Jerusalem. As I mentioned, it's not owned by any Shevet. Therefore, there's no inheritance. And the Torah tells us it has to be land that was inherited. Therefore, we don't do the ritual. Um, why were we discussing the head to the body and the body to the head? The question is, um, and here it gets a little graphic, of um, when a person is decapitated, right, does the uh, body fall where it was and the head goes rolling? Or does the, right, does the head fall where 
it, the body was, and the body keeps moving for a few seconds uh, and moves somewhere else, right? The question is, where did the person actually die? Um, so that is that machloket. Um, and from here, right, let's go to the machloket about belly button versus nose. Uh, and here, the, the machloket is, right, what is the most critical body function, right? Is it your digestive system, right, or your, right, the things that are in your body, or is it your breathing, right, what comes from the nose, which is breathing? Um, or, and interestingly, this is, there's a parallel machloket about where a child is formed, right? Is the child formed from the head, right, the from the nose, which is the center of the head, right? Does the head come first? Or is it from the umbilical cord, right? Is the, does the umbilical cord, right, go out uh, and begin the, um, the formation of the fetus? Um, though the Gemara says maybe it's a different machloket, it's not, uh, it's not the same machloket. One is talking about creation and the other is talking about function. Okay, after they measure uh, to the different cities, the Mishnah now tells us that the Sanhedrin goes back to Jerusalem, um, and then the elders of the closest city uh, bring a female calf that hasn't been worked. Uh, and here, the, the, it could actually have a blemish, but it hasn't worked. And you bring it to what's called a Nachal Eitan. Uh, Nachal is a river. Eitan means strong. So it could mean um, either a strong riverbed, meaning what we would call a wadi here in Israel, which is a dried up riverbed, or it could mean a, a flowing river that never stops, right? A strong flow. Um, and they bring the calf there and they decapitate it uh, from the back of its neck. And uh, the land that w where they do this ritual is not allowed to ever be worked. Um, but you could actually do some things on it, like combing flax or chiseling stones. We'll see why in the Gemara. Um, and then the elders wash their hands, literally, but also figuratively, right? And then they say, our hands didn't spill this person's blood. Uh, meaning that uh, they didn't send off this person, right? The assumption is that this person was a traveler and um, um, the person was a traveler and he, uh, the elders say, we sent him off in the proper way. We gave him food or drink um, and we, we, it's not our responsibility, basically. We did what we needed to do um, and, um, and, uh, it's not our fault. Um, Daf 46, the Kohanim recite verses that the elders will have atonement if they do this ritual. Um, okay, Zohar is asking if Nachal is a brook. Again, Nachal could mean, as I said, river, stream. Uh, it could mean any one of those things. It could also mean riverbed, right? So where there was a river, uh, but doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a river itself, like flowing at that moment. Um, okay, Da 46, the Gemara actually compares the Egla, the Egla Arufa, which is what we're talking about now, to uh, the Para Aduma, uh, 
right? If you remember the red heifer, you remember that we talked about this. Uh, the para aduma was a sacrifice. It was a, a, a red heifer that was taken outside of the temple to the, the Mount of Olives, to Harazetim, and it was burnt there, and the ashes were used to purify people who were impure from a dead body. Um, so that, and it's also a cow, right? Para Aduma, it's a cow. Uh, and here we have a Egla. Egla is a calf, a baby, uh, a baby cow. Um, so we're going to compare the two. Um, so the Para Aduma, the red heifer, is not allowed to have any blemish because it's seen as uh, a quasi-sacrifice, even though it's done outside of the temple, whereas the Egla Arufa uh, was not allowed to be worked, but could have a blemish. Um, so we see that they're different, right? Neither of them could have worked, but uh, one of them is allowed to have a, uh, a blemish and the other is not. Um, and then here the Gemara like, defines what is work. Right, a bundle can't even rest on the para aduma, like you can't put anything on top of it. But for the egla arufa, it could you could put a bundle on it, that's not work, but it can't haul a load, right? If it moves, so then uh, that would be considered uh, working. Um, so we said we take the calf, one opinion is, as I mentioned, a dry riverbed. Um, and here, we're going to use a lot of imagery, right? We take an animal that never had children, right, because it's a baby, and we bring it to land that never grew any produce, right, fruit, children. And this is going to atone for this murder, right, because the person who was killed will now never be able to have children, right, or more children, right? They'll never be able to produce more Fruit, right? So fruit can either be children. Another option is it means mitzvot, right? The person who died, um, that um, they can no longer do any commandments, any mitzvot. Uh, as I said, the word etan, which is actually the name of my first child, uh, my oldest, is etan. Um, so etan means strong, uh, but it can also mean ancient. Uh, and we bring that... Um, and the, the Gemara brings um, uh, verses to prove that. Um, and it says that um, the land can't have been planted before, or maybe it can not be planted after, right? And everyone agrees it cannot be planted after. Um, and from here, the Gemara tells us it's important to recognize that a person must be escorted out of the city. And if you escort someone, right, the, the Gemara brings uh, examples in Tanakh that when you escort someone, you get a reward and it's unlimited. Um, and if you're on the road unescorted, then you should learn Torah. Uh, that is what is going to protect you. Um, and you should escort your guest at least four amot, right? Take four steps out your door uh, when you say goodbye to somebody. Um, and the Gemara gives different distances that you need to escort a person based on how much honor you need to give them. Um, and if you don't escort them, uh, then it's as if you're shedding the person's blood, right? Again, uh, this leads into a whole discussion uh, about 
the fact that they didn't escort Alicia, if you remember, um, um, Alicia was um, right the student of Eliyahu, right? Um, and he was not escorted, and because of that, it led to the death of 42 children. This is a, actually a pretty uh, gruesome story of two bears who come out of the woods and eat these children because they made fun of him. Uh, but uh, because he wasn't escorted, uh, it ended very badly. Um, um, okay, then the, um, the Gemara tells us, since we're talking about Alicia, uh, that actually, right, he actually solved the water problem of Yericho, uh, and he was actually sick three times in his life based on the actions that he did. Um, and here the Gemara tells us the story on Da 47 of Elisha, who healed the king Ne'eman, who had Tzara'at, who had leprosy, um, and uh, he refused to take payment, but then his helper, Gehazi, said, you know what, you can pay me, I'll, don't worry, I'll give it to Alicia, but he doesn't, uh, and Gehazi ends up getting Tzara'at, um, and his three sons also get Tzara'at. Um, okay, and from here, right, Alicia tries to get Gehazi to do tshuva, to repent for his sin, uh, and Gehazi refuses because he said, I caused other people to sin, and if I cause other people to sin, uh, so then I cannot do uh, tshuva. I cannot repent. And from here, we get to stories of people who turn away students, and they wouldn't let them return. Uh, and if you don't let them return, it ends up being very terrible. Uh, the, and this Gemara actually is very famous uh, in what it doesn't say. It depends what Gemara you're learning from. But if you're using a regular Gemara, um, it just says, Yoshua uh, ben Prachia turned away his student. Uh, and it doesn't tell you who the student is. Uh, if you learn uh, from a Koren uh, Gemara or from a Steinzelt Gemara or from Sepharia, uh, they actually put in what was censored out. Uh, and the original Gemara says the student was actually Jesus. Uh, and that basically uh, Jesus was learning from Yoshua ben Prachia and um, he did terrible things and his teacher turned him away uh, and uh, unfortunately the story goes that um, eventually his teacher wanted to bring him back he was going to accept his, his tshuva his repentance but when uh, he came the teacher was saying shma so he told him to wait and 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 Jesus thought that he was again pushing him away uh, so he left and uh, it led to um, the beginning of a completely new religion. So uh, interesting, it's a very interesting story. Uh, and therefore, the Gemara concludes that whenever, right, your left hand pushes someone away, make sure that your right hand is bringing them closer in, right? You should never push anyone away completely um, because it will end badly. Okay, our next Mishnah tells us that if the murderer was found, remember, we did this whole ritual because we don't know who was who the murderer was, but let's say you found the murderer. If you find it before you do the ritual, you don't do the ritual. Um, if you start doing it, then you 
bury the the calf and you do get atonement and if you completed the whole ceremony and you found the murderer you still kill the murderer meaning it doesn't exempt the murderer from getting uh his justice um let's say and this is going to we've we've seen this uh this is a, a nice way to remind us we saw this look at with um sota if you remember uh what happens if there is competing um competing um witnesses right let's say one witness says i saw the murderer right and or i know that there's the, who the murderer is and another person says uh no you didn't see the murderer how could that be right so then you still do the because one versus one we throw it out and you still do the ritual if one saw and two didn't so then you still do the ritual two against one uh if two saw and one said no you don't do the ritual um I see there's a comment. The others say that this was a different person, the student, at a different time. Um, um, ah, meaning you're asking the people, the other Gemaras, who do they say the student was? They don't, they don't say. Uh, the other Gemaras don't mention who the student is. Uh, it just says the student of Yoshua ben Prachia. Um, so it is very interesting uh, to understand who, you know, the background of that story. Um, okay. Um, uh, the, the Mishnah also tells us that when there were a lot of murders, right, when crime went up, they stopped doing this ritual because uh, it was just very clear that there was so much corruption. Um, and when there were, was a lot of adultery, right, again, getting back to uh, Sota, when there was a lot of adultery, they stopped doing the Sota ritual, right? So this is very parallel to everything we've done uh, in this Masechet, right, a a doubt has come up. There's a ritual that's meant to either solve that doubt or um, resolve that doubt. And uh, when the society became so corrupt, uh, none of these rituals worked. Um, okay. And since we start uh, discussing when, when like bad things start happening, it gets even worse. Uh, the Mishnah continues when the last when when we got to the last pair of the zugot. Zugot were the pairs of rabbis. When we got to the last pair of zugot, there were no longer uh, these um, what's called eshkolot, which meant people who knew a lot of uh, knowledge. Um, when, and uh, the Mishnah finishes by telling us that Yohanan Kohen Gadol made a certain de decrees. Um, he got rid of what's called Vidui Ma'asrot, which is a prayer when we say, when we declare that we've given all the Trumot and Ma'asrot, all the gifts that need to be given to the priests and the Levi'im uh, and to the poor people. Um, so he got rid of that and he got rid of the strikers. Um, and he also prohibited the blacksmiths from working in Jerusalem on Chol HaMoed during the holiday. Um, and everyone was, um, okay, and, and something about Maaser that um, here I wrote, everyone was careful about Maaser, but it didn't mean that everyone was careful. People were not careful. Uh, therefore, you had to take off your own tithes whenever you bought fruits for whenever you brought produce. Okay, so the Gemara explains, explains as I mentioned, right, the Egla Arufa, the ritual doesn't atone for the murderer, 
if we find him afterwards, right? We still uh, we still take him to court. Uh, and here there's a discussion about uh, the witnesses, one versus two, two versus one. Are we talking about women? Are we talking about men? Um, so uh, the Gemara basically concludes with the idea that um, if it's we're talking about women, we go with majority. Uh, if we're talking about men, two is always going to win. Um, and um, ah, as I said, again, right, when there were a lot of murders going on, so there's really no doubt. We know that, you know, why the person was killed. Um, so then we don't do the ritual. So too, as we've mentioned uh, earlier, that a man who isn't free of sin, uh, the waters of the sota do not work. Remember we said, uh, yes, the waters check her, but remember we said that if he is guilty of something, then the waters do not work, uh, right? So you needed to be uh, free of sin for the water to work. Um, from here, the Gemara goes into a long, long list of um, from when all these, you know, either terrible things or bad things, from when all these bad things started happening, um, this is the consequence. Uh, so uh, we'll go through a few of them, right? So um, when there was a lot of favoritism so the, in judgment, so then the courts became corrupt. When the courts became corrupt, it led to a lot of anger against Israel, right? And when that happened, the divine presence, the Shekhinah, left, uh, left the people, right? And people didn't understand the difference between good and bad. Uh, when there was a lot of arrogance in the world, this led to less or a decrease in Torah learning. Um, and uh, again, when bribery went up, so corruption went up. Uh, and then there was no good in the world, and then everybody did what they wanted, and we really get the sense of a, you know, almost like a spiraling downwards of the uh, Jewish community living in Israel, um, and things get really, really bad. Um, okay, um, so we said that he got rid of the uh, declaration of the Ma'asrot, uh, so the question is why? Um, one reason is because they weren't giving it to the proper people, right? Instead of giving it to the Levi'im, they were giving it to the Kohanim, uh, and that's why you don't say this declaration. Um, but here, uh, in the time of Yochanan Hagadol, he discovered that they actually were not separating tithes at all. Uh, and therefore, he said that um, when buying produce, uh, from uh, a person who is not careful about the law, uh, you must separate ma'aser. You must, you must separate these things. Um, and he also abolished the practice of harming animals so that it would be easier to slaughter them in the temple. Um, and he actually built, if you remember when we did some, uh, when we talked a lot about the uh, temple, uh, if you remember, there was a picture at the in the temple. There were these rings on the floor, uh, and that was to basically hold the animal down in order to make uh, the sacrificing of the animal as quick and painless for the animal as possible. Um, so that was Yochanan uh, um, Hagadol um, who uh, instituted the 
these uh, rings. Okay, uh, the it's not the final Mishnah, the the second to last Mishnah uh, tells us that there are, again, there were more descriptions of other aspects of Jewish life and the temple that declined around the time of the destruction of the temple. So um, I didn't give you all of them, but we'll go through them in the Gemara. So uh, the Gemara says that when the Sanhedrin was abolished, again, the, the great court was abolished, so then music was prohibited. Uh, and this music is music um, for like frivolous things or at a at a, a feast. But if the music is there for productivity, so then it was okay. Uh, here, the Gemara has on Da 48, um, uh, uh, I think like a famous idea that men and women should not sing together. Uh, this is where you get the concept of kol isha. I mean, we have it in another sugya, but here it's it's also the idea that men and women would men and women shouldn't sing together. It leads to uh, frivolous behavior, which leads to inappropriate behavior. Um, okay, um, it also says that when um, David and Shlomo died, so then the Urim v'tumim, the breastplate of the high priest, stopped working, right? Or maybe it stopped working from the end, the last priest, the last prophets, which were Haggai, Zechariah, and Melachi. <coughs> they were the end of the prophet, of all prophecy, actually. Okay, um, from here, right, we said that there was an end of prophecy, but what's interesting is there still is the concept of a batkol. Batkol is a heavenly voice that comes down. We've seen it before. Um, the Gemara mentions two stories of rabbis that were gathered in the attic. It seems that the attic was like a either a secret meeting place or a private meeting place where um, a batkol came out and said, one of you is really worthy to be a prophet, but because your generation is not, um, doesn't merit having a prophet, so then you're not going to get prophecy. Uh, so this was mentioned about Hillel, right? Very famous Hillel, Hazaken, and Shimon HaKatan. Shimon HaKatan was actually the sage that wrote um, the 19th blessing of the Shmonasre, of the Amidah, Lamal Shinim. So these two people um, were on a very high level. And actually, the Gemara tells us that Shimon HaKatan actually on his deathbed does get a form of prophecy and tells them things that were going to happen in the future. Uh, from here, the Gemara talks about the Shamir, right? After the Khurban, they couldn't find the Shamir. What's the Shamir? The Shamir was a creature uh, that they used to uh, cut the stones of the temple because they were not allowed to use metal objects to cut the stone. Um, it also tells us that it was used for the stones on the breastplate. Um, if you remember, each stone had engraved in it uh, the name of each tribe. How did they engrave it? They weren't allowed to uh, engrave, so they used this uh, creature, um, which the Gemara tells us is very, very small. Um, and they used it to 
uh, to etch, you know, somehow uh, into the stone. Um, after the second uh, destruction, the destruction of the second temple, um, there ceased to be people of faith uh, in God. Uh, and I think that this is a very powerful statement. I think it's very reminiscent. We can understand that after a tragic, uh, you know, a national tragedy, uh, people's faith uh, is shaken, uh, and the Gemara is actually describing this on Daf 49, on our last Daf uh, of the of the Gemara, um, and that basically, if it wasn't for the prayers of David, people would have been very poor, and so too the prayers of Habakkuk. Um, and from here, uh, the Gemara tells us that when two sages walk together, they should discuss Torah, right? Don't just walk, uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, listen to music on your iPhone, but you should talk Torah, with, you know, you should talk Torah together. Um, and if two sages live in the same city, they should also um, be in conversation. It doesn't mean that they have to agree with each other, but they do need to be in conversation with each other. Um, the Gemara now describes um, after uh, the Hurban how uh, the days were cursed, uh, there is no sanctity, uh, there is no, um, that every day was worse than the other, but what what was good, what uh, kind of was the saving grace, um, the fact that the, the Jewish people said the prayer of Kedusha, right, the, the Kedusha prayer from, that we say, and the Kaddish after learning, um, these increase sanctity in the world, and that keeps the world going. Uh, it also talks about fruit losing its flavor after the destruction of the temple. Okay, uh, the last Mishnah of this Masachet describes, again, really the, uh, I would say, the, the, not the downfall, but the downward spiraling of the Jewish community in Israel uh, around the time of the uh, second uh, temple. And it says that during um, the Spasian, uh, they weren't allowed, the grooms weren't allowed to wear these certain crowns. Uh, and then when Titus took over, the bride couldn't wear certain crowns uh, and they couldn't teach, they weren't allowed to teach children Greek. We'll see what this is. Um, and um, um, when certain sages died, uh, the Gemara goes through a whole list of different sages, and each one was kind of like the end of a certain very great, um, very great uh, characteristic, um, right? So that, like that greatness was gone, right? So it was the end of piousness, it was the end of honor, of Torah, it was the end of humility, um, and then uh, they explained that, again, after the, the Urban, after the destruction, learned people decreased, the strong people got stronger, knowledge decreased, right? And there's so much ignorance in the world at that time. Um, and uh, the Gemara says that when Moshiach is about to come, um, things get worse before they get better. Uh, so um, there's, uh, the prices go up, the immorality goes up. There's no fear of truth. There's, um, there's no, sorry, there's no fear of sin. There's no truth. Um, the youth shame the elders. Uh, I think that, you know, it's interesting to look at when things are really bad. We say, oh, it must be because Mashiach is coming, right? It can't, 
I mean, we don't say can't get worse because don't ever say that, but um, it's not it's not a good idea. Um, what does it mean that you cannot teach Greek? Uh, and here it's called in the Mishnah it said you cannot teach them yivanit, what we would call Greek wisdom. Uh, and here there's a very famous story of two brothers, uh, Hasminian leaders, uh, were fighting against each other who's going to be the next king, um, and one made a siege around Jerusalem, uh, around the other, um, and they would actually, uh, the ones on the inside would send money down in a basket every day so that they can bring up animals so that they can sacrifice them in the temple. Um, and the Gemara explains that one day an old man who knew Greek wisdom, right? So it's not the language, but Greek wisdom, um, called down to someone else outside who knew the same wisdom and said that the siege is never going to end this way. Um, and the next day when they sent down the money, instead of sending up a goat or a sheep, they sent up a pig. Uh, and when the pig got halfway up the wall, uh, again, very graphically, the Gemara explains that it uh, kind of dug its hooves into the wall and all of Israel shuddered, right? This was literally the beginning of the end. Um, and from that moment on, they cursed people who raised pigs and who learn Yivanit, right? It seems that it's some sort of secret code uh, and it really led to the downfall of, you know, the entire Jewish community in Israel, right? So the Gemara tells us you can learn Greek, the language, but not this Greek wisdom. Um, and uh, again, as I mentioned, it, the Gemara ends with the different sages who died uh, and all their many great treats uh, ending. And the last one is when Rebbe died, humility and fear of sin ceased. Uh, and with that, uh, we finish Masechet Sotah. Are we still there? Okay, sorry. Everyone's still there? Okay, good. Uh, sorry. Um, so we finished Masechet Sota. Um, I think it's just interesting to think back uh, as, uh, to our uh, Masechet and what we learned. Uh, and I think that one message that I would love to leave with uh, is the idea of uh, the sages really trying to uh, repair a broken relationship. Uh, and maybe we can even expand it to repair, uh, you know, things that are broken, right? So we have Sota, which is a broken relationship. Uh, Egla Arufa, which we ended with, seems to be a, bro a breakdown in society. Uh, so we really see in our Masechet um, the, the Torah trying to repair those breaks. Uh, and when those breaks are irreparable, uh, then, then, you know, then we stop using uh, those, uh, those rituals. But I think really the rituals were there to help repair, uh, to help repair and restore the relationships. And I think maybe that's why uh, the Gemara ends with this idea of these traits, right? What are these traits 
that are so important that we should really try to emulate them, right? Don't let them die with Rebbe, right? Rebbe shouldn't be the last great humble person, uh, but these traits should live on, right? May we have love of Torah, may we have humility uh, and, and really a great respect for um, all the things that we have learned. Um, if someone wants to share something that they've learned from this experience, I would love to hear uh, some of your thoughts. Um, and yes, as, as Zohar said, Hadran Allah, uh, may we return to you, Masachet Sota. Does anyone?